0: Hi, and welcome back to Foreign Office. I'm Michael Weiss, the Director of Special Investigations at the Free Russia Foundation. Uh, This week, I'm joined by Mark Zaid. He is a national security attorney based in Washington, D.C., who specializes in classified and First Amendment cases. And Mark is somebody I wanted to have on the program to discuss the newly decided, I guess, appeal in the U.S. government's case against Julian Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks. Uh, For those of you who don't know, uh, the UK High Court this week decided that, in fact, Assange can be extradited to the United States. They found that his, I guess, his mental state and the risk of his committing suicide in US custody was not as grave as the initial judge in the extradition case had found. And anyway, to get into all of these details, I I thought nobody better than Mark, who has defended whistleblowers who have um, leaked classified intelligence or wanted to come forward with allegations of government excess or abuse before from all sectors in the U.S. National Community Establishment. Mark, it's great to have you on the program, and I know that you're stressed for time, so uh, I want to get right down to it. Now, you're somebody who says this is actually not all that alarming. And then the U.S. government is not engaged in some gross human rights violation by passing down these indictments, of which there are several counts, right? If you could walk us through the case against Assange, and then also why this hasn't really ruffled your feathers as somebody who tends to defend people in, well, I shouldn't say similar circumstances, because that's the reason probably why you're not upset about this indictment. But you know circumstances of people who work for U.S. government bodies who come forward and try to, what, disclose things that they otherwise should not be allowed to disclose, right? Tell us about what this case is and, and why it differs from those that you've handled in the past.
1: Sure. I appreciate the opportunity to be on, Michael, and I'm, I'm happy to do so. Assange is facing 18 counts from a superseding indictment that was issued back in May of 2020. So already a year and a half ago that we've still been trying to get him to be extradited to the United States from where he is in custody in the United Kingdom in in and around London. And they predominantly relate to his activities with Chelsea Manning back 10 plus years ago now. There are counts about receiving national defense information and disclosure of it because in the Espionage Act, which I will tell you a little bit about in a minute, It refers not to classified information, but to national defense information. But for the listening audience, you can just think classified information also deals with basically hacking charges, conspiracy to commit computer intrusion, because there are allegations about Assange trying to facilitate and solicit actual hacking into U.S. government systems, something no responsible journalist would ever do because personally I don't view him as a journalist I, I think one's could certainly have a reasonable debate about whether he's a publisher in today's world decades ago no but you know with the internet that's you know anybody can be a publisher right with for whatever amount of money it costs to just buy a website uh, online so that's a tricky situation of course you know to be perfectly honest if Chelsea Manning had come to me back at the time regarding what she was concerned about, Uh, having seen in the classified information, I would have represented her in a heartbeat. Uh, I think she had good faith belief as to what she was interested, what was concerning to her, uh, just went about it the wrong way. Unfortunately, same thing with someone like Reality Winner Mm -hmm. uh, or even Ed Snowden. But by revealing the information, disclosing it without authorization, without any understanding of the ramifications, that without a doubt, certainly either did or certainly could cause harm to the United States. And Assange, I mean, let's let's face it. You know, He's an anarchist. He's made it very clear. He's anti-American, at least by way of government. This is what he enjoys doing. This is not a friend or ally. Now, there are allegations. I mean, all of these obviously are allegations that he was also working with foreign state actor, potentially Russia. I don't know if he was or not. That's going to be up to the U.S. government to try and prove. But obviously, if true, that also changes the situation. Yeah. Now, I represent journalists all the time in Politico, Wall Street Journal, Daily Beast, the Daily Man, uh, not the Daily Man, I'm sorry. Um, gosh, who was the other one? So I'm trying to forget. I'm even forgetting. I've represented There's so many. Connected. You've forgotten all your USA clients, right? Today, yeah. uh, the Daily Caller. That's who I wanted to say, because I knew there was someone on the right side of, of the fence right. that I've represented. But I'm a stickler of trying to make sure that everything is done the right way. Now, the Espionage Act, which is more than 100 years old now, passed in 1917, initially allowed prosecution of almost pretty much anybody for literally anything. Mm. And journalists were prosecuted. Filmmakers were prosecuted. Basically, the statute at the time enacted during the heart of World War I for the U.S participation actually had some language to the effect that if you published anything that made an ally look bad, you could be prosecuted. So there was actually a filmmaker prosecuted for a film about the Revolutionary War that made British, Britain, our enemy in the Revolutionary War look bad and was prosecuted for that. Now, that was all stripped away from the act within a few years, two, three years, because it was ridiculous. Yeah. And the act was amended once more in around 1950 and hasn't been touched since. So this statute is incredibly out of date. That said, it is so seldom used. And I have represented individuals who have been investigated under the Espionage Act. I have represented individuals who have been prosecuted under the Espionage Act, I've represented journalists who were caught up in the prosecution of someone being prosecuted for violating the Espionage Act, disclosing national defense information. This statute is so seldom used that I think those who are raising for alarm fire concerns are actually causing harm to a situation that could only get worse. And by that, I mean, I don't have a problem with anyone expressing concern as to whether or not this is a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. This is a unique indictment. Yeah. And the Obama administration chose not to indict Assange, no doubt, because of policy concerns as to exactly what we're talking about. What would the journalistic community or how would they react?
0: So, let me stop you right there because, you know, the first indictment that came down, which also raised a, a hue and cry about encroachments on civil liberties and human rights, et cetera. And, and it's important to remember, Assange is not an American citizen. he's a He's a foreign national, born in Australia, but all that to one side. The first indictment was essentially one alleging computer crime, hacking, right? Assange, as far as I can recollect from that indictment, had told Chelsea Manning that in order to cover her tracks, because she had access to certain de- to Department of Defense computer systems, which is how she exfiltrated the, the so-called Afghanistan papers and the Iraq war files, in order to cover her tracks, he would connive to hack into that computer system using somebody else's login information. Correct. Right? And there have been journalists who say, well, he's just protecting his source and journalists do that all the time. To which I say, look, wherever I work, whether it's the Daily Beast, the New York Times, New Lines Magazine, if I am conspiring with a source to commit any kind of intrusion into a computer system by spoofing or stealing somebody's login information, I am committing not only an unethical offense to journalism, not only a fireable offense, according to the the covenants of my media institution, but I'm also committing a a crime. Am I wrong in thinking that this is not journalism properly understood? So journalists do not help their sources break the law, they can receive classified information that has already been stolen or exfiltrated with permission or without permission. But the minute they, they cross that line where they say, we're, we're not only going to protect your identity, which you know anybody would have been duty bound, for instance, in the case of Reality Winner, you don't want to disclose to the US government who's been giving you this stuff because that's the, the journalist source relationship. But nobody from The Intercept was t- telling Reality Winner, hey, by the way, we'll help you, you know, nick documents from the nsa computer vault right no
1: yeah, exactly look let's take classified information out of it if you were doing a story on the local utility company and you had a source on the inside you couldn't conspire with that source to break into your their management's safe and steal documents from the company You know, if obviously that person did it on their own and shared the information with you, then, yeah, look, you know, you'd be able to report on that. And now, look, it has been illegal since the beginning of the Espionage Act for anyone unauthorized to receive national defense information. It's still a crime. So even under the usual scenario that happens, I dare say, every day, but certainly every week that someone leaks classified information in this town of Washington, DC, none of the journalists are ever prosecuted. There has been one case back in World War II where journalists in Chicago, where there was a grand jury convened, uh, because they reported on the US government, I think the Navy breaking Japanese codes. And this was after the Battle of Midway or right before it, and it was going to cause you know real con- caused real concerns to the U.S. government so much that they convened the grand jury. And then they realized, well, what a nightmare that would be from a PR perspective if they actually went forward with the prosecution. Because again, you know, it wasn't the day of the internet, and right. so it was 1942 or 43, something like that, uh, and nobody knew about it. So the Japanese weren't aware that we had broken their codes, and if they had prosecuted someone then the Japanese would have known. So that was decided not to have pursued. I represented Jeffrey Sterling a number of years ago, former CIA case officer who was prosecuted for leaking classified information and unfortunately convicted, which I actually disagree uh, substantively with that determination. Mm-hmm. But the, the allegations or was that he leaked it to Jim Risen then at the New York Times who wrote about it in a book that he published and Jim Risen was subpoenaed and that subpoena was fought all the way up to the Supreme Court, which I believe denied hearing the matter, which meant that the Fourth Circuit case stood and he was compelled to testify. But even then, the U.S. government, the prosecution stayed away from asking Risen, was Jeff Sterling your source? Even though they had every legal right to Mm -hmm. do so, they recognized and respected The line with respect to legitimate journalists. And so they only ask questions about like, did you get this email because they had the email? You know, did you speak to him because they had a phone record? You know, things that were obvious and responsible journalists, when they get classified information on whichever ideological side, historically routinely they then take that information to the U S government before they publish. I mean, the intercept did it in reality winner's case. That's why they got criticized because they handled it sloppily. And as much as I quite frankly, don't like the intercept for specific reasons, I actually think they got unfairly blamed in that situation. They were sloppy for sure, but she was going to get caught regardless. Right. They, they did not her Their actions did not result in her Getting identified as as the leaker, uh, quite that's at least that's my opinion. But everyone then goes to the government and they say, look, this is what we've got. You know, we want a comment from you, and if you can persuade us that the information is so sensitive that particularly lives could be harmed, we won't publish. But if you can't, we will, and that happens all the time. Now, obviously, Assange didn't do anything like that. Which, in fact, he published names of Afghans who worked with the U.S. government and put their lives at risk. And I would not not
0: only that, according to the Guardian journalists that he was working with at the time to bring that exclusive out, they were very concerned that he that WikiLeaks refused to redact the names of U.S. government informants, people in harm's way in war zones such as Afghanistan, to which Assange reportedly replied their informants fucked that. So this is somebody who had a, a clear, flagrant disregard for human life. In the service of whatever his ideological agenda was as some anarchistic, uh, you know, loathing for U.S. empire or whatever he sees it as, Um, which is also, by the way, in the superseding indictments that this is not somebody behaving according to the ethical responsibilities of journalists by trying to protect those that might be compromised by uh, reporting on these issues. This is somebody who just kind of wants to release everything and let the sky fall if it may. But let, but let me play a devil's advocate with you, Mark, on this, right? So you alluded to reservations you had or areas where you can understand there's a concern about invoking the Espionage Act, uh, including I would say you know, um, the, the, the mere dissemination of national security secrets, classified intelligence, right? Uh, And now I understand. I mean, on that level, I can certainly sympathize. I mean, if, if I was given, you know, CIA documents, FBI documents and decided made a good faith effort to to vet them and ensure that by publishing them or by reporting on them, I was not jeopardizing putting anybody's life in danger. I'd want to be able to do that, and I would expect not to go to prison for doing it. Now, you've made a very sensible case that almost nobody has gone to prison for doing that from a journalist point of view. It's one thing if you're coming out of CIA and you know, you're know you violating know whatever your covenant is with that intelligence agency. But why in this case would you say this is such a unique set of circumstances? Why are you not concerned about the invocation of those other aspects of the Espionage Act that, that, that do kind of make us all get a little bit nervous?
1: I think it's because of the facts of the case and what we've been discussing with respect to who the defendant is, which is Julian Assange. Hmm. He's not being viewed as a journalist. Now, again, you know, people can debate whether he is or not, but the government is taking the view he's not a journalist in any way, shape, or form. And there are charges that clearly relate to non-press-related activities. You know, we can speculate as to why the Trump administration felt the need to increase the counts uh, in 2020 to include some of these more concerning charges, whether there was any political motivation or anything like that. But I imagine most of the Justice Department officials are careerists and would have wanted to pursue him in the first place. Mm. Like I said before, it's a policy issue as to probably why the Obama administration did not pursue him. And I'll highlight, I think it's legit for members of the media to be concerned and to watch this with a close eye, Not, you know, obviously not that they wouldn't anyway, but the evidence of how often this happens that we all know about, and yet the government does not take similar action, shows right then and there that this is such an aberration rather than a shift in policy. And what I'm concerned about is All the hue and cry that's coming from the media and others, whether it's a politically or ideologically motivated, but let's just keep it from the journalistic community, that they will persuade members of Congress, and in fact, have already, to make an effort to legislatively modify the Espionage Act. First of all, I think it's going to be generally futile to do that, because I don't think Congress would pass it in the current state of how Congress acts, hmm. regardless of which party is in power, but of greater concern. There was a case 15 years ago, I was peripherally involved, involving APAC, the American-Israeli Public Affairs Committee. Two officials were prosecuted under the Espionage Act in the Eastern District of Virginia. Neither of them had security clearances. This was one of the few of its kind, and it was a test case to see whether or not a non-federal official who had no legal obligation, at least contractually, to protect classified or national defense information could be prosecuted for receiving and disseminating it. And the case completely fell apart because among numerous reasons, I represented a witness uh, who was going to testify that this information wasn't classified, they didn't have an obligation, who was a former senior, actually the classification czar of the United States of America, Bill Leonard. But the judge, among other things, ruled that they had to go, they, the government had to show an intent to harm the United States, which they weren't going to be able to prove. They raised the bar really, really high. So no one since that time has been able to be prosecuted really for that type of offense. And You know what? Maybe even in this case, they won't be able to prove it, though, obviously, with what we know about Assange, as we've discussed, that might not be that difficult a motivation to be able to demonstrate.
0: This is the other thing. And I suppose we can only speculate here because we're not privy to whatever classified intelligence the U.S. has on Julian Assange and his relationship with, say, the Russian government. I mean, I, it's either in the Mueller report or the Senate Subcommittee on Intelligence report, one of the five volumes that they released, which actually is more comprehensive and I think evocative of the election interference campaign in 2016 than the Mueller report. But uh, the U.S. government has alleged that that WikiLeaks released the Democratic Party emails and Hillary Clinton's uh, campaign emails, knowing that the information had come from the Russian intelligence services, right? So this attempt to kind of obfuscate the sourcing on it, Guccifer 2.0 with some Romanian hacker, like that, that's all bullshit. WikiLeaks knew it from the start, and they purposefully tried to throw sand in the air. Now, fine, they're trying to hide their source is one thing. But if they are actively conspiring with a, I mean, in this case, because again, he's Australian, I mean, technically, he, you know, his government is, is in five eyes, that's a US ally, but conspiring with a hostile foreign intelligence service for the purpose of undermining or subverting an American democratic election, if that can be established to the satisfaction of a court, a grand jury, whatever, that seems to be a game changer to me, right? I mean, we have, uh, you know, Mueller and, and DOJ have indicted Russian intelligence officers for doing much the same thing. You know, whatever the, the, the legal technical term is to trying to defraud the United States. Can you explain a little bit of that? I mean, for instance, are all of these counts being racked up get this guy to the United States, let him have his day in court. And then what comes out at trial is going to be more damning than perhaps what has been alleged so far in these dockets.
1: Look, it's entirely possible there are other facts we don't know and other counts to still be coming. In fact, maybe have already been filed and it just hasn't been publicly released for another superseding indictment. It could also be that some of these charges Will be dropped from a policy perspective, or maybe even from a factual/slash legal perspective. Yeah. All of that is possible. That's why I think let's wait and see, is my attitude to see where the government goes. I mean, this isn't going to happen overnight, right? We'll see what the government does by way of its procession down the line to see if it raises more concerns that we should be looking at in sort of more trepidation or so if we think it's going to cause collateral problems. But right now we're at its infancy. We don't even have obviously physical possession of Assange yet anyway. While everyone can, you know, decry that this was done in the first place, you know again, I just don't see it as the first of many. I see it as an aberration. Right. That view can change, obviously, if all of a sudden we see someone prosecuted who is a journalist or maybe closer to a real journalist, we can reassess. I highly doubt we're going to see all of a sudden 50 indictments you know, unveiled all at once against journalists around the country. Believe me, if, I suppose if that's the case, you and I are in a lot more trouble than anything else going on. We'd probably be among the people being rounded up right. for whatever's going on.
0: And, and also, it's important to note, and, you know, if you, if you listen to, and admittedly, Julian Assange's sort of collection of supporters has, has dwindled markedly in the last decade or so, as I think more of his own sort of personal pathologies have come to light, such as they are. But if you listen to them, they say, oh, we, we, you know, the, the, the British government and the British judiciary are basically colluding with the Americans in some grand conspiracy, two different judges. Right. Even when the extradition request was denied, again, on the basis of mental health issues, two different judges found the U.S. case against had merit and that this could be adjudicated freely and fairly in an American court of law. Right. The idea that this is some grand stitch up, you know, a CIA plot to get him on American soil so that they're going to God knows what, like, you know, render him or throw him into a black site or, you know, assassinate him and all this This seems to me very feverish and conspiratorial and, frankly, nutty. This guy has been adjudicated now twice in UK courts. And contrary to, to, well, not popular belief, but fringe conspiracy theory, UK courts can say no to Uncle Sam and have done in the past. Am I right about that? I mean, there have been extradition requests that have been turned down. I don't doubt it.
1: I don't know of any specifically off the top of my head, but I wouldn't doubt it. But I tell you, I was stunned by that first judge's opinion. And um, I'd am i say even more stunned by the lack of outcry as to what was asserted in it, because all of the political arguments, everything you're talking about here, that the Assange community is up in arms. I guess I saw there was a news. Uh, Roger Waters of Pink Floyd was protesting in New York City uh, about the recent decision. And nobody seemingly cared, probably because they didn't know
0: Nobody gave a shit. They all walked back by him. Yeah. Not even recognizing it was Roger Waters.
1: They didn't recognize it was him. Probably he should have sang a Pink Floyd song or something. And maybe they would have noticed. But all of those conspiracies of collusion with the government and that this is all politics and, you know, we're going to punish him for First Amendment, that was all rejected by the first judge. As you said, what the first judge talked about, which actually insulted me more, was the notion that his, Assange was going to die in an American prison. Now we can have a podcast of how desperate the American prison system needs to be reformed and how dangerous it is, and it's not rehabilitation. It's probably makes people worse You know, in the outright. But the fact of the matter is it's still the American prison system. And I think that is, wow. You wanna talk about a slippery slope for a British judge to say, we can't extradite someone because they may die in an American prison? I mean, that could have implications around the world for every extradition treaty that we ever try to utilize. And I think it was also
0: that his emotional state was so fragile that he would commit suicide. But
1: but that's how subjective is that?
0: Yeah, exactly. And also one of the witness psychiatrists or psychologists uh, who testified for the defense actually was a bit misleading because they were querying a woman who it turns out that Assange has fathered two children with, whilst he's been in a state of self-imprisonment in the Ecuadorian embassy over the last, or for the six year period he was there, all the while claiming that he was in a state of, um, you know, solitary confinement while voluntarily being there as a guest of the Ecuadorian government. I mean, we should all be so lucky to be thrown in in the hole and get, you know, <laughs> connubial rights to have two kids while we're there and claim, oh, this is, this is a, a, an infringement on my human rights. I mean, so even that, that aspect of it has now been quashed. Yeah, you know, the high court has said he can go to the United States and, and the U.S. government has made good faith representations they will take every care to protect him, his life and his livelihood and keep him from committing suicide. This decision came out after a much ballyhooed Yahoo News story, with which I have problems and some of the sources for that story had problems with, too, suggesting the CIA was looking to exfiltrate him from the embassy and render him to the United States and all this sort of sensationalist stuff that didn't seem to sway the judge's opinion in the matter. And so, again, I, you know, we weren't in court. We didn't hear the arguments for and against. But it seems like U.S. prosecutors did a, a fairly admirable job here of saying, not only do we have a case, but, yeah, this guy is not, you know, we, we won't let him die, whether through neglect or self-harm, bringing him to Virginia, wherever it is he's he's going to stand trial.
1: Yeah. Eastern District of Virginia. And, and in fact, my understanding is that the U.S. government gave assurances or even suggested they would not oppose a request if Assange was convicted to have him transferred to Australia to serve his sentence. Right.
0: Well, you, you've got to love the irony of that. You know, the, the country where the U.K. sent all of its unwanted prisoners is now all of a sudden the human rights a bastion of human rights and, and civil liberties compared to the United States. So I guess prison in, in Oz is much nicer than prison in America. But look, I mean, you know, we, we agree, I think. And, and again, I defer to your legal expertise and your judgment. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, of all people, is, is you. this is your line of work. You represent people who are whistleblowers, who, who are saying we have evidence that the U.S. government is engaged in gross violations of civil liberties, war crimes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So under a different set of circumstances, Assange could be your client, as you said. I mean, Edward Snowden could have been your client. Reality Winner could have been your client. And yet you are not seeing, as you put it, the four-alarm fire here. And it's very difficult sometimes to kind of parse through some of the hysteria and the disinformation, especially on social media, where I feel like there's a kind of bullying effect. You, You must acknowledge that this is some gross abuse. I I just, I'm not seeing it. And I am certainly not seeing it because, I mean, I have followed this guy's behavior since I've lived in the UK and forgetting his politics, I mean, I don't care. You can be an anarchist, you could be a a Maoist for all I I, I care about. That, That has no impact on whether or not you deserve your day in court or you should have a fair hearing. He should, and he will get it, I hope. It is that this is somebody who, to my mind, has willingly aligned himself with an intelligence service that is looking to do harm to the United States. And he hasn't done it in a kind of source journalist relationship way. He's done it in a conspiratorial way. And I I do hope that comes to light in court, because I think that's not going to sway, you know, his clack of defenders. Nothing would.
1: No. And you're you're right. And I say this all the time, because, you know, obviously I'm I'm with you. I'm all for having a fair trial and a fair trial may mean He is acquitted on one or more charges, maybe all of the charges. I mean, our system, our criminal justice system is is a great venue, especially, quite frankly, for those who are guilty uh, because they can be acquitted. But unfortunately, when you try to talk to Assange supporters, their demand for a fair trial means only that he has to be acquitted. There, There is no guilt or acquittal to them. There is only acquittal. Whereas what we're talking about is we want you to have a fair trial. You should have the best trial counsel, defense counsel that you can afford or will be appointed to you though clearly, I mean, I know some of his, at least one of his lawyers and he's a damn good lawyer. He worked on Jeff Sterling's case. I'm sure Assange will have top notch legal representation here in the United States as well as from other countries who come to help. And if the US government does not have the facts to back up their, their indictment and charges, then those will fail. But if in fact they can meet their burden uh, beyond a reasonable doubt and convince a jury of this crime of these crimes, then Assange will be convicted as well. He should be.
0: Yeah. And sent to Australia or God knows. where,
1: <laughs> Right. Or wherever he goes, you know?
0: Yeah. Now, now here, let me, let me just ask you a more abstract question. You know, it, Often it is said, well, the reason that whistleblowers don't sort of just come forward, right, Uh, publish their documents, stay in the United States and then sign up with your good self to be there defense counsel or just their attorney, I guess, is uh, the overweening power of the US government is just there to crush them, right? I mean, people who defend Edward Snowden say, of course he had to flee the United States. And of course he had to wind up in Russia because he would not have had a fair hearing and he would have wound up in some supermax prison in the United States. It's inevitable. This is what the US government does to whistleblowers. As I said before, and as you, I mean, you, this is your job. You defend whistleblowers. Uh, what, in your experience, could an Edward Snowden, say, have done differently, um, which would not have made him a kind of honored guest of, of Moscow? Could he have stayed in the U.S. and had a, a fair hearing for what he was trying to do? I
1: think absolutely. I, 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 the way you described accurately what people say, I reject wholeheartedly, and I find it to be a complete crock. Now, a lot of times, unfortunately, these individuals don't know how to proceed. I mean, Chelsea Manning yeah. at 19 years old didn't know what to do, and the Army system did not help in any way, shape, or form. And that is, that is really where reform needs to be undertaken to make sure everyone understands what can be done. Now, Ed Snowden, a little bit older at 29 years old, and certainly uh, an intelligent guy, no doubt about that. I think he should have and probably did know better. But I'll give you some examples of what he could have done. First of all, he he, and the number varies, right? He stole what allegedly 1.7 million. Don't know if it's pages or documents because that could be a different thing. It's unclear. But he stole a lot. He stole so much that there is no way absolutely that he could have read it all before he turned it over to a number of journalists around the world. So let's even just focus on one single page, the FISA court order, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court order to Verizon Business saying, for the next 90 days, you need to turn over all your metadata to the United States government. That was what was at the heart of why Snowden said he took all this information to expose the- allegedly illegal domestic surveillance program. All that was needed was that one page. So let's just, let's focus on that one page. What could he have done if he had come to me? Well, first of all, he was a contractor. So if he had uh, quit or even not quit his job and come to me, and then I could have made it known that this document was in existence and brought it to members of the Hill or made them known about it, I would not have taken possession of it because it was a classified document. I would not be allowed to do that. But I would be allowed to know that my client, who would be anonymous, has possession of the document. Unlike Reality Winner, so many people had access to that FISA court order that there would have been no very, very difficult for the government to have figured out who had it. Now, maybe they could attract who downloaded things and, and things like that from a technological standpoint, but it would have taken time, I think, given the circumstances and the breadth of people's access to this. So we could have gone to the Hill. I mean, the reality is the Hill knew about it for a long time and did nothing. That's what makes this so ridiculous. I could have also gone to court. I could have crafted litigation for my John Doe client to make it known Some information like this exists. I could have created, without revealing what it is, a major news story that I think, it's all speculative, of course, we don't know, but that I think would have garnered so much attention that the pressure would have risen to a level that ultimately that information would have been known, perhaps even a deal struck for immunity for Snowden. He could have been a hero. He would have been here in the United States. I mean, there are a number of other steps we could have taken. Even He never really did go to the inspector general's office, even though I I acknowledge, I don't think the inspector general's office would have done anything, but we still could have gone that route to lay a framework to further show how broken aspects of the system are. He didn't try the routes. And the reality is, I'm still waiting. This is what, he did this in 2013. It's almost nine years ago. I'm still waiting to see him or hear him advocate for whistleblower reform to fill the gaps where he fell through. Haven't heard or seen that happen once, which shows to me he was never serious about it in the first place.
0: What is the role that Assange and WikiLeaks played or is alleged to have played in helping him get out of the United States or get out of Hong Kong and go to Russia? I mean, I've always found it interesting that for a, a so-called transparency organization, which we steal secrets is the slogan of WikiLeaks, somehow they get visas to go to Russia. Sarah Harrison has been to Moscow. She was there, I think, at the Edward Snowden press conference, the first one he gave when he was in, in the airport hotel. It's a very bizarre kind of thing for the Kremlin to allow in journalists, in scare quotes, I should say, uh, who steal secrets and then publish them, Right. What is the relationship here? I mean, you know, Snowden has been an outspoken supporter of Assange, an outspoken opponent of the U.S. indictments against him and the extradition request. I mean, what, you know, are these two separate instances or can they be connected in some way?
1: Well, I think that's yet to be determined. There are obviously public connections between them. And the question really would be then looking behind the sort of paywall, what Where how deep do those connections go, particularly with respect to involving Russia? I mean, clearly, Russia had its own self-interest to allow Snowden to come in, to allow the press conference, to allow Harrison and WikiLeaks to come in, maybe because there's connections or maybe they just saw it as an opportunity to be able to further embarrass the United States. And, you know, why not take a, a, a dig when they can? You know, we don't know. I would hope the U.S. government knows more than we do publicly and maybe at some point in time, we will learn that, but it does raise some questions without a doubt. And I, I mean, I, for one, I'd certainly like to, to know more about that. I mean, look, WikiLeaks is not the organization that it, that it used to be there. It, you know, major falling out uh, among its, its inner team. You know, it looks like it's down to, you know, a very core group of very ideologically similar people that, uh, You know, they have their own self-interests, obviously, uh, that they want to pursue. But at the end of the day, when we look at all of these very small number of cases that are tied to all of these things with respect to like Espionage Act prosecution, you know, I raise some real questions. I wish some folks would do a real deep dive of what difference did these revelations actually have on changing policy. I would dare say oftentimes either the information turned out to be not completely accurate, like the the Manning slash WikiLeaks disclosures about war crimes, they were all investigated or at least a good number of them. And they were determined. And I read some of the investigative reports not to have been war crimes. And I think as a matter of law, they were correct. Like the the Apache helicopter video video. I think anybody who saw that would be concerned and disconcerted and that merited coming out Hmm. just not the way that it did. And ultimately when it was investigated, it was just a tragic accident with respect to the death of the Reuters reporter or journal photojournalist. I think it turned out to be, you know, they were kind of callous about it because that's what unfortunately war does, especially in the video game age of how war is conducted nowadays with Snowden, with all the release of this information, Show me what actually has changed besides the U.S. government stopping some of the policies it was following, but not because of Snowden. It did it years later when it determined that it just wasn't doing anything substantively worthwhile, which maybe it should have reviewed that initially before Snowden did anything. That's another story. But Congress stepped in and basically legalized all the things that Snowden was complaining about. They made modifications to the program, but they sanctioned it. And now I think there are some good things that happen from some of these cases regarding transparency. We get to read the FISC decisions, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court decisions redacted, right? That should have always been the case. That's a good thing, without a doubt. And there is more transparency, but I think we could have gotten there through other means rather than the, the negative way that we went, which I will say in closing on this point, when individuals like Snowden and Assange do these things, Assange is a little different. He's a foreign national, right? But Snowden being a former US government employee, US defense contractor, when he does something like that, an individual, the repercussions go through the system like a tidal wave or tsunami. And I mean by that, that the US government does a horrible job of laser pinpoint focus on how to fix a leak. Instead of sealing the one individual leak and making sure it doesn't happen again, they literally take a sledgehammer and apply it broad brush you know, kind of think, yeah. you know, tuna nets catching dolphins and killing all the innocent people. Because while we believe in our criminal justice system, that we would rather have the the saying always goes, we'd rather let something like 100 guilty people go free than one innocent person be imprisoned. In the national security civilian context, with respect to security clearances, the US government would rather fire 99 innocent people for concerns about Possible leaking in a sort of hyper vigilant atmosphere to prevent the one guilty leaker from actually having access to everyone.
0: That's not a good thing. And to marry the last two points you've been making, I mean, you seem to suggest that the the the, the two biggest profile. I mean, Assange isn't a leaker; he's a clearinghouse of other people's leaks. But okay, Manning and. Snowden, that the amount that they disclosed that was, let us say, in the public interest, in the sense that it had a tangible legal impact on how the U.S. conducts either foreign policy or domestic policy, was actually not as great as has been made out or sensationalized in the press, or certainly not in our kind of collective consciousness about what these two guys, or excuse me, one guy, one woman represent. And yet, as you point out, the government damage control that is conducted to try and stop similar leaks like this can be outsized and can be even worse, more deleterious in the sense not just people getting fired from their jobs, but people who might be in a position to actually leak or disclose something of greater moral and political urgency about what the U.S. is doing that is bad, either at home or abroad. I mean, in a sense, you know, these last, what, 10, 15 years, what have they all been for? It seems like a lot of storm and drang, and not a lot of actual substance, or am I mischaracterizing your point?
1: No, I have seen some very good clients who work within the national security community, the intelligence community, suffer consequences because of Snowden in particular, and others leakers. Because of the way the government has reacted in response, overreacted in response. And I would say, and I would challenge anyone to really do a deep dive into what these releases were, you know, now. 10 plus years later for some of them as to what real effect was happened as a result. Now, you know, even if you look at Manning stuff, a lot of what was released through WikiLeaks was historic in nature. Actually, some dating back to the 1960s from a historian standpoint, it was a treasure trove. It's fantastic amount of information. And, you know, I wouldn't hesitate to sue for it to get it declassified if it had still been yeah. withheld. But it didn't reveal anything ongoing or or even any any place where the US government was doing things they shouldn't have. In fact, to the contrary, ironically or maybe, you know, to its credit, much of those disclosures that WikiLeaks made actually showed that what the US government was saying publicly is what it was doing and saying privately. Now I'm sure there are some You know, exceptions to those, but I'm talking grand scale of all this information. And, you know, even with the Snowden materials, from I don't know what the exact number is, but from what I understand, a very small percentage of what Snowden gave to individuals like Greenwald and others has still not been made public.
0: Meaning, sorry, a, a large percentage has not been made public. So only a fraction. Has been
1: I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. sorry if I said it the wrong way. Most of it has not been made public. A very small percentage has been made public. And I'd like to know why that is. I mean, I in many ways, I'm glad, you know, it'd be really interesting to know. Did uh, Glenn Greenwald finally read through some of this and, and decide, oh, my God. Yeah, that's right. That never should have been stolen. Uh, that needs to be secret. Is, is that why he hasn't done that? can I hazard a guess that that's probably not the case? <laughs> right. Or so then, so where's the rest of it? Or maybe because it doesn't show anything that would suit Greenwald's ideological agenda against the US government. I don't know.
0: Well, or or whose possession is it in? I mean, you know, it, did, did Snowden retain these files in some kind of digital form when he went to Moscow? And if so, I mean, are we to believe that there's still on his person at all times, and and the FSB and other Russian security organs haven't got their paw prints all over them by now. I mean that that's what can kind of concerns me. But what you just said, yeah. I mean, are they are they stored in a U.S. cloud somewhere that only you know intercept journalists have access to? I don't know these things. You know, like <laughs> it just it, it it does raise an eyebrow though, um, and I think that's that's one of the concerns that somebody you know, certainly somebody who's writing a book about the Soviet and Russian intelligence services should have.
1: Right. No, it's a it's a good question. Obviously, I, I, I certainly know folks within the intelligence community who believe that the Chinese and the Russians were able to grab whatever Snowden had on him. I, you know, we don't know that to be true or not. I guess all we could say is technologically, my understanding is that the, both those governments had the capability of obtaining the information And that's without Snowden's assistance. If Snowden assisted them in gaining access to it, that's a completely different story. Obviously, he's been indicted, too, but not for doing that. Now, whether I presume that those who were initially in touch with Snowden were, you know, who were given access to it, uh, presumably still have at least some of the documents. I don't know. I've always been surprised why nobody hasn't asked any of them. I mean, maybe they have, and I just don't know it. And I'd love for some listener to to point it out if that's the case.
0: The, The WikiLeaks model would have been just disgorge everything up on the Internet. Don't vet it. Don't redact. Just put it all out there. For, let let everybody pick it over. And and so that that hasn't been done in this case. So either as you say, I mean, it's it's all kind of a nothing burger. Or I don't know. I mean, you know, who's the keeper of the purse on this one? You know, and and who's making these decisions? Yeah. I mean,
1: supposedly Laura Poitras and Glenn Greenwald were given everything by Snowden. I, I'm and I know Barton Gelman was obviously given stuff. I you know I'm not sure if. If Gelman has indicated whether or not he's still in possession, but presumably the others still are. And knowing what I know of the two of them, I can't imagine that they willingly either turned it back over to the United States government or destroyed it. That means they're still sitting on it somewhere. And if they're still sitting on it somewhere, my question would be, why? What's your plans?
0: Well, on that Mr. Mysterioso note, Mark, <laughs> I just, uh, I wanted to thank you for coming on. It's, it's nice to have a fresh perspective that isn't mediated by Twitter rage howling, which unfortunately is the norm these days. Sadly. Although I did see you had the same kind of stock reply to everybody who was just kind of mischaracterizing all of this, which I found amusing and was another incentive to uh, to invite you on.
1: Yeah, I have stopped. And this is what I recommend to everybody who's on Twitter. I think Twitter serves a function. I tweet and then I don't read. Right. I very rarely will now read what somebody tweets in response because it's just not it's not worth the aggravation and the blood pressure increase that usually comes with it.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, I think this was a it was a searching and substantive conversation, really, an education, because you, as I say, forgot more about this stuff than, than I'll ever know. And most of my listeners, are no doubt, are the same. I just wanted to thank you. And look, I mean, assuming that first of all, we should we should point out Assange is appealing the appeal. And so there's a chance that the high court ruling could be overturned. And we go back to square one where he doesn't get extradited and he, he's let let out of Belmarsh prison and that's that. Uh, but in the event that he does get extradited and he is brought to trial, we should have you back on the show to kind of go through what it is that has been reported of his court case and what's come to light. That'd be my pleasure. I suspect there's a lot more here than, than meets the eye. And, and that's kind of what, what's got me intrigued about it all. So anyway, you've been listening to Foreign Office. My guest this week is uh, Mark Zaid. He's a national security attorney based in Washington, D.C., who handles uh, classified intel cases and First Amendment cases. We'll see you next time. Thanks a lot.